Let's open our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 60. Isaiah chapter 60. We were there last Lord's Day, and it had a verse in it that we didn't spend a very long on. We'll spend some more time on it today and verses related to it. I'd like to preach in this second service, Nations Blessed or Cursed is our title, because God either blesses nations or God curses nations, and America has been great because God blessed America, and America is losing its blessing because it's turned its back on the God of blessing. And God can curse nations as well, and he cursed his own nation, his own nation of Israel, on several occasions. And Lord, have mercy on America that you do not curse us. In Isaiah chapter 60, which I have spent enough time last Sunday and already in the first service today explaining these three chapters of Isaiah 60, 61, and 62, they are describing the exaltation of the Jewish church in the earth with the arrival of Messiah and New Testament religion. But one of the blessings and one of the warnings that is made is verse 12 of chapter 60. And God said about his church, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. And so in studying for that chapter and studying that verse a couple of weeks ago prompted me to want to preach to you now this text and the greatness of America. I don't do this very often. I do it when it gets around the fourth Thursday of November and we will talk about the greatness of America. I'm thankful for America's greatness all the time. You just need to be around me more because we have the greatest nation in the history of the world. And for us to have this church in this greatest nation in the history of the world and to have the Lord reveal so much to us, we're just doubly, triply, quadruply blessed with so many different kinds of blessings. And we want to thank the Lord for that. God, by infinite providence, led us to study the book of Isaiah where we encountered this verse last Sunday. There are similar verses. Do you remember chapter 54? where it said, this is the heritage of the saints of the Lord, that all their enemies would be destroyed. They're wonderful verses there ending chapter 54. Psalm 2 tells the kings of the earth to take note and to kiss the sun, lest he be angry just a little, and they perish from the way, which is the word used right here in this context. This verse, Isaiah 60 and verse 12, speaks to the demise and destruction of nations which introduces Bible political science. The Bible has a considerable amount of inspired instruction and warning for national success or national ruin. This sermon is only a superficial scratching of the surface of axioms and advice for national prosperity. If you dislike Americanism in the sense of God's blessing, then you should not proceed with me, for it is here. We should be thankful for America, and that's how I'm defining Americanism at the moment. If you dislike criticizing other nations, though I will try to be even-handed, you should not go further with me. If you love the Bible on any subject, 
I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every subject. And you see and love America's blessings, then proceed with me. Because I believe God's word in every verse that it has to say about national prosperity as well as any other subject. If you are disappointed in the brevity of our study, then take the topic yourself to the depth it deserves. Whether I take this beyond one sermon or not, we'll, I'll know at the end. But it wasn't my intention, so we'll see. Due to brevity of this sermon, there will be generalizations comparable to how the Bible makes generalizations. The Bible makes generalizations. Do you know what the Bible generalizes about the island of Crete and its people? It says in Titus 1.12, the Cretans, those Cretans, are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. And Paul said, this witness is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So there's God generalizing about a nation as being lying, having a dishonest character, evil beasts, just given to violence and cruelty and slow bellies. They were lazy. That's bad stuff. Then you go to Acts chapter 17, and the Apostle Paul said to the philosophers and leaders of Athens, ye are altogether too superstitious, he said. And that is right in conjunction with Luke saying, those people were given to one thing only. They had one pastime, to hear new things about the Athenians. So the Bible gives us some example generalizations like that. The emphasis will be on God's own axioms found in the Bible and a few facts or generalizations about nations. The rams in my flock will be disappointed, maybe. The lambs will be overwhelmed, but the ewes and the rams more like them will be content with what I'm able to cover. President Trump ran and won by MAGA, M-A-G-A, Make America Great Again with all reverence for our president. He may not know all the terms of the Bible for the greatness of a nation. His goal is correct. Many of the things he gives lip service to, and only God knows his heart, are for Christian America, and often for Bible Christian America, for which we give thanks. We have insider information regarding the real forces and influences that make or break the nations, and it's God who in Jeremiah is called the king of nations, and Jesus is called the prince of the kings of this earth. And we know that angels are intimately involved in the affairs of nations because of Daniel chapters 10 and 12. There is angelic activity far beyond the greatest human efforts if you go and look in the book of Daniel. The rules of righteousness, the rules of wisdom, the rules of truth of Christianity, far beyond any constitutional or political theory or practice, have made America great. Our young brother got up this morning and used Psalm 122. And in Psalm 122, it says, They shall prosper that love thee. So when you find a nation that loves the churches of Jesus Christ, that nation is going to prosper. And if you want to hear the sermon in a nutshell, you just did. But there's a whole lot more to say than that. 
But when a nation loves the church of Jesus Christ, that nation will be great. And when a church doesn't love the church of Jesus Christ, as Isaiah 60 and verse 12 tells us, that nation is in trouble. And people can perish in more than one way. People don't have to perish by having a nuclear weapon explode in a city. People can perish by ignorance. People can perish by blindness. People can perish by being turned over to error. And we see it wherever we look. There's varying degrees of material prosperity and spiritual ignorance. There can be physical or material financial prosperity and complete, total, spiritual ignorance of wisdom, justice, and judgment as the Bible would describe it. So we want to keep those kind of things in mind. There are many things on our website that would aid a person that wanted to study further. When we look at Isaiah 60 and verse 12, which should still be right in front of you, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve thee, there's one of the 51 these, the Jewish church shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. Do you know what the first one was that fulfilled this verse? The Jewish nation itself. Because the Jewish church was just a tenth of the nation, and God pulled it out and destroyed the Jewish nation because it persecuted the church of God. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that those Jews have persecuted us, forbidding us to preach to the Gentiles that they might be saved, and the wrath of God has come upon them to the uttermost. Because the tribulation they endured in 70 AD is the worst tribulation upon a city in the history of the world before or since. And that is the truth of God's word. And I've explained that to you mathematically before, that the atomic bombs dropped in Japan did very little damage and very little pain in comparison to what happened in the siege of Jerusalem. Approximately 65,000 or so died in those nuclear explosions in Japan at the end of World War II. But in the siege of Jerusalem, 1.1 million died, a slow, painful death of starvation and internal fighting among factions of the Jewish nation. God gave them over to the seven devils that he promised he would. Do you remember when he said that about that evil generation? So there's the first example right off the bat of the fulfillment of that verse. And in my outline, I have some links to other documents outside the Bible and outside of our work that we've done in the past to things like Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations. That book's title is An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations. And it was published in, listen to this date, 1776. I dug into some of my old books, and this is... This is a nice little book uh, called The Mainspring of Human Progress. The Mainspring of Human Progress, written by Henry Grady Weaver. Henry Grady Weaver was a Baptist from Georgia who became the head of customer research for General Motors in the early part of the last century. And he wrote this little book about what made America great. And to him, it was individual liberty. Now you say individual liberty. Does the Bible believe in that? Absolutely. 
The laws of God defended individual liberty. The Lord is so specific about that, he won't even let your neighbor want what you have, let alone take it, burn it, or, adulter or commit adultery with it, or kill it. He says you can't even lust after what your neighbor has. Yes, individual liberty. And so I, I dug into some books that I read a long, long time ago, um, and the Bible is true. And no man is true. Let God be true, but every man a liar. But some of the things that God has revealed to men, especially Christian men, especially American men, I'm not going to read very many other nations on political theory. Let me read a statement made to you by a French diplomat, aristocrat from France, a political scientist, that means who studies nations and what makes them prosperous, and a historian who visited America in 1831 to 1832. Now, when we look back in history and we think about 1831, they didn't have anything. Oh, yes, they did. Oh, yes, we did. In our ancestors, America was already a great nation in this world. Now, this is a statement that has been ascribed to him and used by many of our presidents since President Eisenhower. And this is a statement by Alexis de Tocqueville from France, who visited our country in the 1830s. And he wrote a book about America. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious harbors and her ample rivers, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her fertile fields and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her rich mines and her vast world commerce, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her public school system and her institutions of learning, and it was not there. I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her Democratic Congress and her matchless Constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Now, a lot of efforts have been made in recent years to say that Alexis de Tocqueville did not make that statement. Whether he did or not isn't really my point, nor do I care very much, because I used it anyway, because so many of our presidents have used it, used those words from President Eisenhower to the present time. They have used those words, America is great, because America is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. And America defines goodness by the Bible. It's always defined goodness by the Bible, and it's only been in recent years have we changed from that. I don't need to tell you about the context of this text. I can just tell you that the text matches with what I just read. It matches with Psalm 122, that they that love thee shall prosper. 
and those that resent thee and hate thee and will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations shall be utterly wasted. In Isaiah 60 and verse 12. Be thankful for America. Let's praise God for America. And let's properly identify what makes America great. And so I read that little paragraph to you from that French diplomat so that you would see the list of things that is not our greatness, even though they are blessings. The greatness is righteousness has been preached from pulpits, and those pulpits have been protected, and those pulpits have been promoted in America. Preachers of the gospel have had great careers in the eyes of the government of the United States of America. They bring them into the chambers of Congress and have them pray. They have them as personal advisors to the presidents of our nation. And we thank the Lord for that. You know, things are changing. And I am not on a political bandwagon. I'm on a Bible bandwagon. What makes a nation great? And if you want to pray and not rest to keep God from getting rest, then not only do it for our church, do it for America. Because God can save a nation by a few righteous in that nation or by some intercessory prayers by even fewer than that. Who will be the intercessor for America and save her from himself? Nations are blessed or destroyed in proportion to their service of Jesus Christ's kingdom, which is visible by his churches. This warning was stated in the 40s and 50s of our prophet Isaiah. The positive is an axiom of the Bible and experience. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I think I've mentioned this to you before, growing up as a lad, once in a while, we had a television in our house, but not very often. And so when the television was in the, off, in the house, my brother's eyes and my eyes were glued to it because we hardly ever got to see that thing. We had to be creative and go out in the woods and build forts and be cowboys and Indians and FBI agents and things like that and try to burn the woods down and and other activities of boys that love fire. But I remember on the Channel 6 that came out of Lansing, Michigan, which is the capital of the state of Michigan, at the end of a program, it would say Psalm 33 and verse 12. It would have it on the screen with the reference, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. I remember that as a lad, and times they have changed a little bit. I don't think MTV would put that at the end of one of their programs, but or CNN, or CNBC, but blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and that's really the lesson I want to give you. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And our nation protected preachers of the gospel. Why did the pilgrims come here? They wanted to get away from religious persecution. They wanted freedom, and though we would not have agreed with them in many points of doctrine and practice, they wanted to get away from persecution where they could follow the Bible according to the dictates of their consciences, according to the light that God had given them. And God likes people like that who are trying to obey Him 
even if he doesn't show them everything that there is to know. The negative side is an axiom of the Bible as well. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. And so the future of nations depends on what they do with Bible Christianity and what they do with the Christ of Christianity and what they do with the God who is the father of the Christ of Christianity and what they do with the Bible, which is the manual of Bible Christianity. And we, we see those things in history and God blessed America because those things were important in our nation. Daniel prophesied that in the days of the Roman Empire, God would set up a kingdom to destroy all other kingdoms. And John the Baptist preached the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is nigh. And they were baptized and joined that kingdom. And it tore down, it tore down the Jewish state in just 40 years. The Jewish nation was over. 400 years. Listen, Rome went through so many troubles. And then Rome was overthrown with the Visigoths in 476 A.D. And that is after they converted to Christianity to try to stave off the ruin of their empire. Because they had persecuted the church of God too much and they did crucify the Lord Jesus Christ at the instigation of the Jews. If you want to look at who is the most guilty at the crucifixion of Jesus, it's the Jews, not the Romans. But the Romans were involved in taking out some of the other leaders of of the apostles. We can read about one there in the book of Acts. For sure. America must repent to end her hatred of God, his laws, hatred of the Bible, hatred of Bible Christians. She has been and is at the present the most powerful and wealthy nation in the earth. She is in this exalted situation like England before her for her support of Christianity. But since she is turning against God and his religion, she's got to bear the consequences and the consequences are not good. What makes a nation great? That question and its answer is very important. If you, if you mess up on that question and its answer, then the rest of your study is faulty. It's like starting out with evolution to reason about the purpose of man. You know, it's, it's reasoning in a circle from nothing, from insanity. So what makes a nation great? The definition of greatness and measures of greatness are very key and very important to us. Greatness includes military might, because the Bible says so. It includes economic wealth, but it also includes far more than those two things. It includes character and conduct of the people. It includes the character and conduct of the rulers. It includes the moral and religious issues of that nation. And those are superior to might and money. The character and conduct of a people and its rulers are superior to might, military strength, and money, financial wealth. Consider God's premium in the Bible on justice. Doesn't he say justice and judgment over and over and over again? Where is real justice and real judgment? There will be God's blessing, and that makes a nation great. Truth and wisdom. Bible truth, real truth. Not the truth that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Do not degrade the word truth by including such things as that. Include real truth. The truth of the existence of God, the origin of man, the purpose of man, the origin of death, the cure of death, the end of man, the angelic realm, 
and all the things the Bible teaches us. That's truth. And then how that God tells us to interact with each other and with him and with the angels. Yes, indeed, with the angels, because the Bible says, because of the angels, is wisdom. How to interact in all those different relationships is wisdom. When we start to think of those things, that is what makes a nation great, and that's what made America great. And we got to include spiritual religion and the worship of the true God. We need to consider the truth of the name of God, Jehovah. We are not going to play with Yahweh or any of the other inventions they've made up. Jesus is Jesus. He is not Yahushua or Yahashua or anything else they want to come up with. He's Jesus. He's been Jesus for a long time in our language. Consider the truth of Jehovah, creation, salvation, revelation, his kingdom, his wisdom, and so forth. The world continues to invent all kinds of new ideas on how to measure a nation. They say that equality and in income is greatness. When you can get rid of the rich and get rid of the poor in a nation, then you've got a great nation. That flies right in the face and against the Bible. The Bible says the rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. He says you're always going to have poor with you. And you should never curse the rich because if it weren't for the rich, you wouldn't have a job. And so that little idea, and you know, we could go through a whole long list. The NEA thinks it's the educational system of America that makes it great. And we all know better than that, that it's in spite of the NEA that we have any greatness left. Lord, have mercy upon us. Happiness is man's subjective measure of contentment with folly by foolish persons. So let's not just measure it by happiness. Let's measure it by happiness and praise in the house of God. Because that's what the Bible describes happiness as. And to be glad because we're obeying him and worshiping him. Equality is not a measure of greatness. That's the ruin of a nation. When you take the rich and the wise, and the intelligent, and the genius category of a nation, and reduce them to being serfs, like in some nations of the world, like communism promotes, then it destroys the nation. The individual liberty of those more gifted by opportunity, intelligence, or wealth, or capital, are reduced to a serf, and they can no longer have the influence that they've had in America. Rich men built great portions of America. And the Bible tells us to be thankful for those rich men. And there were rich men that were children of God and scattered their riches. And so we want to measure everything by the Bible. The Bible does not want all men to be equal in that sense. The Bible wants there to be a distinction. Ordinarily, the general rule is the poor are poor for a reason. They're stupid and lazy. Ordinarily, that is what Proverbs teaches. They're lazy and stupid. The rich, ordinarily, are rich because they're ambitious and frugal and wise. And they keep their riches. Does the Bible say, a strong man retaineth riches? Yes. It says that. It's not just the providence of God. There's also involved in it the character of that man. And the foolish spendeth it up because he loves spending. Pizza on Friday night 
is such an incredible draw for him that even if he doesn't have the money for it, he'll still buy it. He's got to have his toys and so forth and so on. I'm just still explaining that God never intended for them all to be equal in a nation because he makes differences among men. And when those differences are protected, those rich men make good things happen for the poor people. And the poor people, by working for the rich man, make good things happen for the rich man. And together, they meet together in life. And together, they accomplish great things. In America, they accomplish great things. And we need not tell all those stories. Some of you have watched a video presentation of the men that built America. And some of those men, you know, they were so generous in the money that they gave away. When you read about John Rockefeller and being a Baptist and cleaning his, cleaning his church at the height of his empire, he owned 3% of the entire wealth of the United States at the height of his riches. There's no one even close to him that can't even come close to what he accomplished through Standard Oil. Just using him, he gave away most everything he had, but he worked hard. And did people benefit by John Rockefeller wanting to exploit the use of oil, gas, and kerosene in America, its transportation and its refining? We all benefited. And we benefited faster than ever before in the history of the world. This nation turned from being a hunter and collector nation of Indians on it and pilgrims eking out a living to the most prosperous in just a few years. It's an incredible story of God's blessing on a nation John Rockefeller was in a Baptist church every Sunday. I'm not going to say he was a Bible Christian just like you and me. I'm just using him as one wild example that comes off the table as the richest man in American history. Opportunities in this country. What's the, what's the measure of a nation's greatness? They protect the church of Jesus Christ. They promote the preaching of the Word of God. They help those men that preach the Word of God. And in our country, in our nation, for those that give to a Baptist church where a pastor is preaching against many of the things the NEA and the PTA stand for, the government still allows you to get a tax deduction on your tax return for supporting that man railing against the PTA and the NEA. When you are allowed a tax deduction on your tax return, that means that the government is subsidizing the object of your charity, which means the, the government is subsidizing this anti-abortion, anti-evolution Church of Greenville. Amen. Then there are laws in the tax code to benefit the man of God so that he doesn't have to pay an onerous tax burden so that the money given to him, which is already subsidized by Uncle Sam, goes further than it goes with any other profession by what's called a parsonage allowance. It's, anyway. All of that is to say America is great for very real reasons. America is not great because of its constitution. That's just a little part of it. And the constitution has plenty of flaws, but that's part of the blessing, to have constitutional republic form of government. America is not great because of its educational institutions. America is not great because of its farmland in the interior. Last Sunday, by the provocation of Zach and Kayla Hunsader, I went home and watched some videos about the Dust Bowl. 
I really didn't know very much about the Dust Bowl. And I would suggest for those of you that like American history, you can go back and find out what happened to American agriculture in New Mexico, northern Texas and New Mexico, Oklahoma and Kansas. Millions of acres turned into absolute powdered dust. And there were dust storms for 10 years because they over-farmed it. But they got the idea. You know, hunger, the closer your belly button gets to your spine, the better you think about your methods. And so it was for those farmers. But it was a part of American history. And so, you know, it still has to be done right. Not all of America is fertile for growth. There's other nations in the world that have a great proportion of very fertile soil. So when we think about what makes America great, we think about Jesus Christ was worshipped on these shores and Catholicism was hated. This nation began by hating Rome and loving the free preaching of Jesus Christ. Now, it was a Protestant form in New England, but that gave way at the Constitution of the United States with a Bill of Rights where Baptist churches were allowed as much as any other church. And state churches of Connecticut being the Congregational Church and state churches of South Carolina being the Church of England, that was all taken away so that any church, yes, the state church of South Carolina was the Church of England. And so Baptists could have their churches. And we, we thank the Lord that in America you can drive down the street and see a Hindu temple, not very often, not like in Malaysia, but you can drive down the street and see a Hindu temple or you can see a, an Islam, a mosque of Islam because that means that we can meet. And so we can meet freely and we can preach freely. You know, one of my tests is, and I went and did it this past week, I went and checked out to make sure www.godhatesfags.com is still in business. A Baptist church in Topeka, Kansas. Oh, yeah. It's still cranking away. They're demonstrating all over the world. They have practices we would never get close to with a 10-foot pole. But the fact that they are still allowed to exist, still allowed to preach, still allowed to demonstrate at funerals of military people and our, our governments, and our government and our judicial system, our legal system, defends them over and over and over. The freedom of religion and the freedom to assemble, we thank God for our Bill of Rights. And uh, thank you, Lord. Opportunities. Never has there been a nation with opportunities in height and breadth as this nation has. You lads... You can do and be anything you want in America. Anything. It isn't, there's nothing holding you back. Our previous president proved it. Nothing can hold you back in America. Apply yourself and trust the Lord to bless your effort. But opportunities, the potential in a nation, certainly is an indicator of its greatness. In the Bible, it would be said, every man gets to have his own fig tree and vineyard and sit under it. See, that's individual liberty and having your own little castle. You don't have to live in a high-rise apartment complex like you do in the Soviet Union or China. Have you ever seen their housing? All you have to do is look up how many square feet does the average person in Russia have. It will shock you. It is so terrible. There's nothing. 
because they're all crammed into big boxes called public housing or housing in high-rise apartments. But the Bible says every man gets his fig tree and gets his vineyard. I know that our brother Chris from out in the country appreciates that verse. And I hope you all know who I'm referring to. I'm already sorry for one last name that got off my tongue. Ignorance of nations, superstition of nations, their idolatry, ancestor worship, foolish traditions can be very worse than war because you spend your whole life believing a lie. You spend your whole life believing a lie and promoting a lie and sending your children to schools that promote those same lies so that it's perpetuated generation after generation and we have those nations on earth. I don't care what kind of wealth they think they have. I don't care about their manufacturing ability when their whole lives have been turned over to blindness by the God of heaven. The inventive genius. Now look at, look at Proverbs chapter 8 with me. You know, I, it's dangerous because it can mislead people when you say that some chapter of Scripture or some verse of Scripture is your favorite or it's better or it's best. But I sure would like to about Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs 8 doesn't have all the neat little pithy statements that say chapter 10 does. But Proverbs chapter 8 is the most systematic, structured presentation of wisdom in the Bible. 1 through 11 are an introduction and an appeal that you ought to want wisdom. 32 through 36 are a conclusion that you better want wisdom or you're in trouble. Verses 12 through 21 are the benefits that come from having wisdom, and verses 22 through 31 are that God used wisdom in the creation of the universe. It's just laid out beautifully. And the Lord has given us understanding of it above most theologians. Most theologians and most commentators believe that Proverbs 8 is describing the eternal sonship of Jesus Christ, that he was the one brought up with him from eternity, that God was like a grandpa sitting on the porch watching his boy play ball in the yard. You say, really? Yeah, let me show you one of those verses. Verse 30, Then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. That verse is where they get eternal sonship from. They preach eternal sonship from that loud and long and do not allow an alternative. Not all, but most. This chapter is about a woman. Let's look at verse 1. Doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put forth his voice? Does it say his in your Bible? No, it says her. She, in verse 2, standeth in the top of high places, by the way in the places of the paths, she crieth at the gates. Proverbs chapter 8, along with chapter 9, is personification of wisdom as a woman. Lady Wisdom. And she wants to help foolish men. And she wants to help foolish nations if they would just listen to her. So last night I gave you some exercises in Proverbs chapter 8. I like verse 12. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. For those of you that love Proverbs 8 with me, 
I gave you this to print off your preparatory email. And it took the 31 descriptions in verses 12 through 21 of a successful, great, and prosperous nation or man and gave you short definitions for each one of those 31 traits. Verse 12 is incredible. I, wisdom, lady wisdom, I, lady wisdom, dwell with prudence. I'm around where men are prudent. What does prudence mean in this context? The best way to do things for maximum efficiency, safety, utility, and value. Period. I'm around prudence. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge. Knowledge in this context is the harnessing of science. Do you know what the word science means? Knowledge. The harnessing of science to do new things by creative application. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. Witty inventions. Creative scientific tools, meaning that they use simple machines and proven scientific methods of motion, energy, power, and, and work. Creative scientific tools to do more, better, cheaper, easier, and faster. And has there ever been a nation like ours? We don't even know what to do with all of them. I can't keep up with all of them. My wife's cell phone is beyond my ability. It is a witty invention, and yet I don't even know how to use all of its features, nor does she. Which, i got to keep her just a little bit humble. We are so blessed. Love Proverbs 8. If you want one place to go for the prosperity of nations, it's Proverbs 8, and it's having the words of wisdom. And this nation preached, taught, supported, promoted the words of wisdom from the Bible. Noah Webster. He made a dictionary. His first dictionary, what did he use to illustrate the use of most of his words? The King James Bible. McGuffey's Readers. What did they use for the material in the McGuffey Readers? But our Bible. What was the most popular book in America? The Bible. What was after that? Fox's Book of Martyrs. Books like that. America was great because America had God's words in it. Look at Proverbs chapter 8 and verse 8. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth and right to them that find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver. And see, there we go. This instruction of lady wisdom of how to view life how to view relationships, how to view things, how to view activities is wisdom. And when you have wisdom, or when you can get wisdom, it's better than gold or silver. It's better than rubies. It's better, according to verse 11, than anything that can be desired and everything that can be desired. Do you two young men want to be great? Then love this book and learn the wisdom of it. Look at what Proverbs 8.11 says. For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. All the things that can be desired. You, you probably want a car, don't you? You want a car. You desire a car, young man. All the things 
that can be desired are not to be compared to wisdom. Because if you'll harness wisdom and use wisdom, you'll have a bigger car or a better car or a faster car and more of them because wisdom produces. Oh, thank you, Lord, for America. We love our country, Heavenly Father, and we pray that you will preserve it. That's all I'm going to say. I could preach on Proverbs chapter 8 for a long time. If you don't believe me, go home and click on that link where there are 36 audio commentaries for each of the verses of Proverbs chapter 8 and see if I have an idea or two from the God of heaven about the application of Proverbs chapter 8. Now last night, I listened to it and was coming unglued. And I wrote it some time ago in another life. But it was wonderful. And to go to Proverbs 14.4, and to see there that where there is no ox, the crib is clean. But by the strength of the ox is much increase. And that that is wisdom to channel capital. We are capitalists because the Bible is capitalist. An ox is capital. The only way you can ever get an ox is to save and invest in one. And then once you have that ox, it's only a few years before you can have another ox. And you can build your farm. And just, you know, the Bible compares a dull ox to a sharp ax and says the difference is wisdom to sharpen your blade. Ecclesiastes 10.10. That's what made America great. She had this Bible. And the people were taught the Bible. And children grew up learning the Bible. Even in the public school system, they learned about the Bible. And it was read in public ceremonies. And it was preached in public. And preaching events were important events in the early days of our nation. I want you to know why America is great. And I want you to look at the rest of the world with the eyes of Isaiah 60 and verse 12, that the nations that don't support the preaching of Bible Christianity and the Christian religion have perished in one or more ways. I don't care that they have a fast train. I don't care that they have 1.6 billion people. I don't care if they call themselves Mother Russia. Lord, give me America. Give me America. Russia is so pitiful. Measure, measure her by any way you wish. So pitiful compared to America. The Ukraine is just as fertile as any part of the United States. But you need to read about what the Soviet Union did to the Ukraine to get rid of every man having his own fig tree and his own vineyard. And how millions starved. Same thing in China, except it wasn't just millions, it was tens of millions. By the starvation in that nation. Lord, thank you for America. Comparing nations. You know, brethren, what could I do? Maybe we'll do it on Wednesday evening. Could we compare nations? What percentage of the American population is Baptist? This is a comparison. You know, nowadays you can just go online, though this one's very hard to find because most nations don't have any or have so few that they don't measure. How many Baptists in America? 15% of the whole country. 50 million. 50 million out of our 330 population are Baptists. How many Baptists are there in Japan? It doesn't measure. 
How many in Germany? Doesn't measure. Russia? Doesn't measure that we know of. China? You know, are there underground Baptists? Absolutely. Do we know how many there are? No, we don't. Are there more than we think? Yes, there are. But we don't know how many. Let's thank the Lord for things like that. Why would I pick on Baptists? Because they're close to the closest to New Testament apostolic religion. Though the Baptist World Alliance is getting far away from it nowadays, and so is the Southern Baptist Convention is following not too far behind. Why are there still so many Baptists in America? Because there's no persecution of Baptists. Baptists aren't made fun of all that much in America, though they are made fun of to some degree. And so America's great. It was Baptists that were very instru- Baptists were very instrumental, not just Baptists, but Baptists were very instrumental in getting us that Bill of Rights and that amendment for freedom of religion. If somebody says to me, but you know, there are other countries in the world that are, that are prosperous. You know, China's pretty, pro- really? Do you think China's prosperous? By what measure would you compare China to the United States? It's not prosperous. You say, well, Japan's prosperous, really. Japan, may I talk, may I speak briefly about their stock market just for a minute? It's called the Nikkei 225. It's the 225 largest companies in Japan. In America, it's the Dow Jones Industrial Average. That's 30 companies. So we're taking a bigger proportion of the Jewish stock market. They hit their high in 1989. That was 31 years ago. Over 20 years' time, until 2009, it went down 82%. Now, I want you to know that over the last six weeks, you have heard a lot of stuff about how terrible President Trump is and how it's affected our stock market, and it went down 30% and came straight back up so that it's only down 10 or 15% right now from its all-time high in a pandemic lockdown. Hello? Lord, it's incredibly impossible, except with your blessing. Japan's height was 1989, 39,000, the Nikkei 225. In 2009, 20 years later, it had lost 82% of its value. How would you like your savings over a 20-year period of time to lose 82% of its value? You say, well, where is it today in 2020, 31 years later? Still 50% down. What measure do you want to use? Do you want to use the measure of square feet per person of living space in Japan, China, Germany, Russia, anywhere compared to the United States? We live in castles so that every man can sit under his own fig tree and have his own vineyard. And we could go on and on. The spiritual emphasis in excluding pagan idolatry or man-made hallucinations like Islam. Are you thankful that in America, Islam is only 1% of our population? England is like five. France is like eight. Germany is pushing that. They want all those Muslim immigrants coming into their nation. Thank you, Lord. Save America. Blessed God for the sake of your people that are within it. We could measure in so many different ways. The price of gas, you can find it right now for a dollar and nine cents in Greenville. That's not everywhere. Japan is three times that. Germany's three times that. 
China's twice that. India's twice that. Square foot per person, we have eight times what they have in India, four times what they have in China, two times what they have in Japan, and so forth and so on. This world still wants the United States dollar as their currency. They still want the United States to be their friend. It's not just that I'm in love with America. I want you to see the word of God that was fulfilled in America because of Isaiah 60 and verse 12. He prompted me, it's appropriate for you to give thanks for the nation that you live in and how it's protected my Jewish church that became a Gentile church and has reaped the results of it. Tell the people that. And so I'm telling the people that. Because those of you who know me know I avoid subjects like this because of my past and the ch this church's past. We focused too much on the political and not enough on the spiritual. And I want to keep our focus right. But this text prompted me, and with this pandemic, and now we can compare nations on any measure that you want, just by, all you have to do is type in living space per capita by country. Boom. There it is. There they're all listed. And you can just do that over and over again, and do you know what you better do when you see it? You better praise the God of heaven because he tells us we need to be thankful for the abundance of all things. America's greatness is because she has protected and promoted Bible Christianity. And in that definition, for a limited time, I would include Protestants because they are outside the Catholic Church and declare it so, especially older Protestants righteousness in character and conduct as defined by the Bible. Truth is the breadth and depth of Bible knowledge known and confessed by a nation. Wisdom is that nation's character and conduct taught by God and Solomon in the Proverbs. And this nation has fulfilled it more than anyone else. Henry Weaver writing and saying, if, you ha if I have to boil it down to one little phrase, it's individual liberty. I told you how that's taught in the Bible, right? Right from the Ten Commandments. That your neighbor can't even want what you have in a way of thinking, how can I get it? That's the law of God. And it's both testaments. And I want you to turn to Romans 13, and I don't mean the first seven verses about rulers, but I mean verse 8 about the law of God and protecting individual liberty. Romans 13, 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet, and if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so there is individual liberty covered by the commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. You would never take your neighbor's wife if you loved your neighbor like you love yourself. You would never take your neighbor's stuff if you love your neighbor like yourself. And so it's protecting individual liberty in a place where you might not have thought about it. It's right there. And when men are protected that way, they will apply themselves with every bit of genius and strength they have 
because they know the outcome will be protected. In a nation where everything has to be shared and it's group management, uh-uh. Free up men and the cream will rise to the top and they will be great and the rest will all benefit from that happening. And it's in the word of God. Well, there's so much. There's so much. Obviously, I haven't said very much. Look at Daniel chapter 2. Just give, give me a couple more. What does a couple mean in my vocabulary? More than two. Look at Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. These are just a few Bible axioms about God's rule of nations. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21. And he, well, let's get 20 because Daniel is in the middle of a sentence. Daniel 2.20, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. There's God behind it, behind national greatness and behind kings in 2.21. 44, I've already quoted to you about God that, the God of heaven setting up a kingdom in the days of the Roman Empire by John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. Look at 4.17. Daniel 4.17. This matter is by the decree of the watchers. There are angels watching national affairs and they come and report to God and it influences how a nation is treated. Daniel 4.17. How about Daniel 4.34? I use that in my prayer. Daniel 4.35, He doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Our God, our Father, raises up nations and puts down nations. He, put, he raises up kings, he puts down kings. He's in charge. Here's how much he's in charge. Look at verse 27. Wherefore, O king, the greatest monarch on earth, Nebuchadnezzar, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee and break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. The tranquility of a king, the tranquility of a nation is by its righteousness. And that's what I've been trying to say to you. And so where a nation like America received to her shores the persecuted followers of Jesus Christ from Europe, in just a few years, those wild shores with only Indians before them were greater than all of Europe put together. That squabbling bunch of nations over there that have fought and fought and fought each other, America was greater. We would have to go deliver them from their wars after war. We would have to go deliver them. Thank you, Lord, for America. Thank you for giving us the Bible. And brethren, I know you're disappointed. I'm disappointed. You didn't get very far, Pastor. I got far enough at the moment that I'm content for the moment. I won't be on my drive home, but I'm content for the moment that there's a God in heaven and America is great because America protected the offspring of the Church of Jerusalem and received her to our shores. In 1950... There were three times as many Jews. This is not a blessing. There were three times as many Jews living in New York City as in Israel. 600,000 compared to 2 million. 
When the, listen, this is something that I was taught as a child because my father was raised to be a dispensationalist and we used the Schofield Bible and it tells us that America was great because we have befriended the Jews. But the Jews are not the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ and those who believe in him, the, the preponderant majority being Gentiles. And so America is great, it is true, for befriending the seed of Abraham. But the seed of Abraham is Jesus Christ and his followers, and America indeed did that. And that is why America has been great. Plus, she has the righteousness of the word of God. She has the wisdom of the word of God. Look at Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs 14, I promise, with this text, I will end. Proverbs 14, I have pages and pages, we'll see. Let's just trust the Lord for what he's got out of me today. And I've told you why, because he prompted me with Isaiah 60 and verse 12. And I thank God for the prosperity of America. I thank God for the Christians in America. I thank God for Governor Henry McMaster calling for a state day of prayer today for our state. I thank God for our president. Oh, did you understand the prayer request today that was made very quickly? And, and rightly so. The prayer request, Lord, let it be seen by our president and his handlers that he's got November in hand so he doesn't have to waste his energy campaigning, but he's just going to be reelected to another four years. Can, can we make that a prayer request of this church? That uh, the pollsters know that the Mr. Biden is not going to be able to compete with them. And so he doesn't have to campaign very hard. You know, he's getting on in years, and we want him tweeting instead. And we want him ruling our nation instead. Yes. And I, I meant everything I, you can tell by my prayer request. I want him to know before he even goes to battle that the race is won. Do you know what the Bible says about certain men? That they delight to run a race because they look around at the competition and they already know they're going to win. They just want someone to shoot the gun to start the race. Let's pray that for our president. Here's one of the verses for political science in the book of Proverbs, and there are many. Why are there many? It was written by a king for a son, the prince, who was going to be king, to be a great king. He wasn't a great king, nor was the king that wrote a great king in his, older, in his later years. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. America was once generally righteous. Now she's generally sinful. We have to be the righteous minority, and we have to pray for America. God, save America. Amen.